We are live right now. I just want to confirm on my on my phone. Yes, we are. We are definitely live. Uh, welcome. I just Mike Crawford here. I'm speechless because I got a really good guest I haven't talked to in a little bit. She's uh, a leader of Massachusetts, Massachusetts State Rep Nika Elogado. What's up? Hey, Mike. Thanks. Fun to be back. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish. Your, your hat's. Your hat's my hat's right. covering. Yeah. yeah. Can't see my eyes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I have the bright light. I'm like, this light is too bright tonight. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm, I'm unfortunate. I mean, I'm happy to have you on the show, but it's tough times for everybody. So right. it's a, it's kind of a balancing act for all of us. And we're in our home studio. Usually we have you right in the studio with us, but now we're at home and, and you just told me off camera here, or actually yeah. we're on camera, but not live, not live yeah. to the world that uh, you usually, when you do these Zoom calls, that you usually don't use the camera. Is that correct? Always, never. This is I the first time? This is the first time. I mean, this year, yeah. So we're honored. We're honored. We have a wow. first time, Nika. On I, I was like, I can't make Mike and everybody look at the black screen. <laughs> you could have done that to us. I would have been, because oh, I'm, I'm the same way. I don't like the camera either, honestly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're doing it, and, and uh, I'm glad. Thank you for doing that for us. Sure, I left all my stubbornness for you. Yes. <laughs> and with you know all that's going on right now, where do you want to start? Like, because I gave you a whole list of things I wanted to talk about tonight, but I'm that's just wondering. About, how are you doing? <sighs> how are you doing? I don't know. Uh, just <laughs> I feel, feel like I got everything I wanted, actually, but... I'm not happy about it now. It's weird. And I'm not happy about the state of the world, obviously, and the, right. what everyone's going through. And I mean, for me, I, my dog walk business is down 75%. So yeah. like, I was too busy before. I was like, this is out of control. I can't do what I want with the, the show. So now I have plenty of time to do all the stuff I wanted to. So short term, I'll be fine. But longer term, I'm like, wow, what am I going to actually do? Because right. this is different for everybody. And uh so it's it's difficult, you know. I think uh, for a lot of my friends and family, seeing what they're going through, and Tito Jackson, like just people you know that you see, yeah. that you know Tito Jackson, COVID nineteen confirmed. He posted on his Facebook. Yeah, yeah, Seems like he's doing fine, but yeah. there are other people who aren't. So you know, we're all worried about our friends or neighbors. I have a customer right now. We're still, even though we're in a dog care business, we're essential services. And what we mostly are doing right now is covering workers who are essential services, you know? So like we have Comcast workers, he runs the polls. He's a man, he needs to work. He needs to make sure the, that we can do this tonight. Right. Um, so, you know, folks like that and, and also elderly, you know, people who don't, you know, have coverage, like we're their lifeline. Um, right. So we're also concerned about them, you know? Yeah. And so it's, it's really, it's difficult, you know, and it's, we are all making difficult choices, whether we should go food shopping or pay for the delivery, all that stuff. It's, it's, uh, it's really a tough time for all of us. So how are you doing? About, enough about me. You know who I worry about? Um, I worry about the people who, who don't reach out, you know, because, um, I often think about this since I was a little girl. I always think about the people who never, the people who are isolated, um, people who are who are lonely, depressed. Some of them are people you see every day and they pretend to be fine, and others are people that hide out. You know, how are those people doing right now? And you and we don't know because they're not going to call you. That's yeah, part fine. of that's part of their challenge. And some of them yeah. might have complicating intersections of, of issues with health or. Uh, other mental health things or physical health things or family issues or they might live with people they can't stand like I live with somebody that I enjoy spending time with right and so it's fun for me to have more time um, and I feel bad I spend most of it on calls <laughs> you know and that's like a, an amazing problem to have right. in, a, in a situation like this but um, it's hard for me to not to be honest to not freak out a little bit about the things I always worry about that are they're now like a hundred times worse for people right that's so true i mean we're you know we're, we're going to try to feature more voices like that one of my friends is homeless so uh, that that you know just where does he go to the bathroom you know he used to go yeah. to starbucks you know so yeah. like just little challenges like that, that. Just don't have to think about any time let right. alone a time like this you know yeah so 
Um, you know, speaking of uh, good partners and good spouses, my girlfriend just walked in and she's Hi, being girlfriend. as quiet as she can. She is amazing. Uh, I, I feel the same way. I'm very lucky because I know some people aren't in good situations in their home life and, and we're definitely spending more, probably more time than we've ever spent together the last few weeks. So there's some benefits for some of us anyways, but um, it's difficult for a lot it's of other, terrible. Yeah, it is. People who are already in a good situation, you really feel that. And people who are already in a bad situation, it gets worse for them. And uh, part of the challenge for me is some of that doesn't have to be that way, you know? But there's a lot of things we should be doing all the time that in a crisis, people are like, oh, everybody should have housing. Oh, everybody should have healthcare. Oh, we should be connected and we should know what's going on with our elders at all, at all times, you know? And, and, and oh, people with uh, mental health issues, we need to really be there for them and make sure they're okay. You know, if we were doing that all the time, then this kind of a situation would feel really different for a lot of people. That's right. You know, what's so funny is a lot of the bills that you've, put forward in your time as a state rep now they seem much more popular don't they and they're the same before and after it's we'll pretty see. much the same type of yeah. policy we'll see they're, they're more popular to um discuss you know but the it's still the same thing it's what are we going to land you know what are we going to land so the federal government has done more than i would have dreamed that they would even though it's not enough but, you know, you know, we were all kind of down on what they were capable of producing out of D.C., I think. And so they really are trying their level best to help people. But the challenge is when we have a lot of people who don't make it part of their everyday politics to help people, you know, it doesn't it doesn't work as well as it really should. And so our federal government being in the state that it's in, you know, this country should be way better off than we are in this crisis. You know what I'm saying? Like if we had excellent leadership. With the money that we have? I mean, they said that we couldn't, you know, they gave a trillion dollars to the banks in 2008. Nothing to the people. Uh, yeah, I got wiped out. again, like basically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was in the financial industry and I got wiped out in 2008. No bailout for me. I actually worked for the company that got the largest bailout in the history of corporations. That was AIG. Yeah. In 2008. And I lost everything. Um, it's yeah. funny because I went self-employed. Yeah. You know, and, and so it, it's for me, well. <laughs> yeah. And, and now that I see that, like, at least this time we're not like, we're not getting the majority of the money, but we're not being completely left out for the first time. Yes. So it's, it's it's really fair. interesting to see not, now you have a trillion dollars for us. Wow. You said that you couldn't afford Medicare for all. You couldn't afford this. You couldn't afford that, but gee, there is money there somewhere. <laughs> well, you know, you know what we were saying before, even when we talked about, uh, rent regulation, that when the housing crisis creeps up into the middle class, that's when democracy starts working for everybody. <laughs> and so this is, this is a, um, you know, a virus is blind to your socioeconomic status. Um, you know, the, how hard it hits you and the, and, the, and the corollary impacts of all of that is not blind to your socioeconomic status. But the physical illness itself, it doesn't care how much money you have. And right. so I think it opens up people's heart more to realize like we're all the same. We're all connected. There's nothing in your status or your material situation that makes you uh, more or less vulnerable to death. And so we just, we need each other, you know. And we need people to stay home right now. I mean, that's, if, yeah. if you're not, you know, essential worker, there's not a reason for you to be out for, you know, healthcare. You should yeah. not, not be out right now. Like, you know, I understand some people are hiking on the trails and things like that, but I'm talking about just, you know, some of the stuff that we see. I, I just, I feel like people are putting people at risk when you're deciding to play five on five basketball, <laughs> you know? So. Um, people don't really understand. They don't understand the, the, the urgency. It is. I, I think um, a lot of people hopefully are starting to wake up to it because yeah, for sure. the stories are definitely being reported about the doctors and the nurses and what they're dealing with and how, some of them have recently died and are, you know, on ventilators. It's, it's just shocking. You know, you see someone on Twitter posting as a doctor about what they're going through. And then the next thing you know, they're on ABC news and they're on a ventilator and they're dying. And it's, you know, a young doctor, you know? So these are people that we now know and see, you know, it's, it's people we know uh, and people that we find out about. So 
hopefully that's getting out there how important it is. Um, we we got like I said a, a, quite a few yeah. different things that we wanted to cover tonight. Um, I guess I w- uh, you know for the big thing for a lot of us our, our audience is the marijuana issue obviously. Yeah, yeah. And you know China Taylor has been spearheading this, and she put a letter to the governor of Massachusetts uh, to reopen to to you know do something about what you know to change. He for people that don't know, I think most people though, Governor Baker just shut down all the recreational dispensaries in Massachusetts. And that includes one in Boston that she actually references and her latest press relief release that we had to them on the show, Kobe Evans, uh, Oasis, you know, these guys just opened um, their economic empowerment, really good local guys. And now they have to shut down and it just, it doesn't seem fair. She, she seems like she's pushing to get things overturned. You, you signed on to her letter to the governor. Um, Where, where are we with that right now? What, do you want to make any comment on it? Well, we need people to be calling their reps and calling their, their state senators to say it's important. So, so the, um, the lens that was used initially on the essential business uh, in this realm was food and drink, right? So, uh, and then medical, medically necessary, uh, for example. And so that's why uh, medical marijuana was approved as essential business. And liquor stores were approved as essential business, approved as essential businesses, uh, but then recreational marijuana says, "Well, that's not food or drink, and it's not medically necessary." And there's a lot of um, there's a lot of other lenses that we need to look at it through. Uh, you know, as China, as Rep. Tyler points out, uh, the whole framework legally for the cannabis industry was patterned after. The work that we have done historically on the on the liquor industry and liquor products, and so in fairness and in fairness to the whole empowerment movement, uh, we have to make sure that there is parity between the liquor stores and uh, the recreational cannabis stores. And so that's why I signed on, and why I think a, a lot of a lot of members have signed on. And so we need to make sure that our reps understand that this is something that people are behind. Definitely. And um, Grant Smith, who is also another new co, uh, another new host, I shouldn't say co-host, host, because mm-hmm. we basically host uh, episodes now, both from our homes, uh, where we interview people, and he's commenting on it. Um, he actually noted to, today that Shaleen Title, the Cannabis Control Commissioner, has also called on Governor Baker now to allow adult-use cannabis stores to reopen. Yeah. Yeah, it's critical. And we put so much work on, in every sector. Uh, we've poured into making sure that these businesses can be successful. We can't, we can't let them be a casualty of this uh, war on the coronavirus. I hope not. I, I don't think it's fear at all to just, yeah. just shut them on blanket when you're letting medical open. Um, when we know that a lot of the recreational patients are medical patients as well. They're right. medical patients without cards, which I am right now. I, I, you know, my business is down 75%. I'm supposed to renew my medical card it will cost me more money. That's really down low on my list right now. Right. I saw that on your post. I thought that was a really solid point. Uh, and then even people that don't have cards for other reasons. Right. Uh, yeah. But it's important, you know, for their, for their health, for, for ways that maybe aren't registered. That's so, right. I think, yeah. you know, when you have 75, 80% who aren't registered, chances are there's a large number of them who are using that for medical reasons. Yeah. Just makes sense. It's, you know, and the governor just doesn't seem to, acknowledge that that's what really bugs me like he should like acknowledge it and do something about that like just leaving everyone out to dry and sending them to the illicit market to the traditional market especially when we just had what he was so concerned about which was a vape epidemic and you know it was from the illicit market so you now you're sending them to that illicit market yeah so i mean that's a public health risk too i think and i don't think he's addressing that so hopefully I'll have some some learning and teaching to do on that, I think. Right. And I think that's what's our community and the listeners and the supporters of this show. This is the Young Jerks. It's Mike Crawford, the host, and I got a special guest, Mass State Rep Nika Alogado. Um, and we're talking about cannabis in Massachusetts. Governor Baker just you know shut down the recreational dispensaries, uh, unlike every other state, which called them essential so far. So we're hoping he changes his mind and uh, at least lets them open for like delivery, something. He needs to, right. he needs to jump out and do something um, 
but uh, we know Rep China Taylor. The lines, but we can we can deal with it without the lines, right. like, like we have done with other essential businesses. I think so. I, th I think that's can be definitely worked on, and I think the industry is totally up to doing that at this point because yeah. they don't want to be shut down. I mean, these are a lot of jobs too for people. So, uh, big thing. What you know, like I was getting to on the community part of it. That's how it gets done. This governor is going to respond, not to me. Uh, maybe he'll respond to uh, Nika, but he's going to respond to hundreds and thousands of emails and phone calls to his office. So that's, sure. your, that's on you. Like, you know, I'm doing my part. I'm calling him. I'm emailing him. I'm, I'm calling my state rep up here on the North Shore. You should do the same. Call your state rep, call your state senator, and call Charlie Baker especially. And call him like five times a week until you get them to say yes over and over again every day once a day you, you can't get in trouble for calling the governor once a day right am i right yeah you're right and also uh senator brownsberger made this website that's so much easier to use to find out who your state rep and your state senator is it only works for state legislators but it's called legmap.org so leg like leg like legislator map legmap.org and you can just point to where you live on the map or you can type in your address and it'll pop up your state senator and your state uh, rep with the links to their phone numbers and their emails. And so it's, it's faster than the where do I vote in May.com uh, and less buggy. <laughs> awesome. I'm, I'm trying to bring it up right now, but yeah, again, I'm not that good at zoom right now. <laughs> if Grant was doing it, he would have it right up for us. Maybe I'll, I'll have to have Grant start remote broadcasting for us. Lake math dot. I think it's that org. Let me make sure it's org and not com. Okay. I'm sure. I'm sure he's posting in the comments. He'll find it anyways. Okay. Good. 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 So we we have helpers. Oh, there it is. Yeah, it's dot org. It is dot org. Okay. Again, uh, Mike Crawford here. Um, we're speaking to Massachusetts State Rep Mika Elogado. Where is your district? So people know yeah, who I, you represent. Yeah, them. I got uh, some of Boston and Brookline, so I got about half a JP. Uh, for those of you that are familiar with the area from Jackson Square uh, all the way up Center Street to the to the monument and then I go over through Jamaica Pond into uh, Brookline on one end and into Rosendale up through the Arboretum. So I got a little bit of Rosendale precinct in Brookline and then I have all of Mission Hill, which I love, ex except for a little piece that Rep China Tyler has. Uh, I've got almost all of Mission Hill. Very cool. And I, I wanted to uh, also thank you, too, uh, for a couple things. Number one, you came to our fifth anniversary award show. Oh, yeah, that was took fun. Home an award. You gave out an award. Back when we used to be able to hang out in large groups. Yeah, it was <laughs> amazing. We were supposed to do it. Let's see, that's another thing that got canceled. We we're going to do another one coming up in uh, spring or fall here. And yeah. that's out the window at this point. Um, but that was fun last year. And I want to thank yeah. you for doing that. And um, we also... When you came on our show, we we got like a really good write up in Dig Boston uh, that I did on your the interview. You know, we got to put it in print as well, and they really loved it because you know you broke some news. You, I don't know if you told the story about your father anywhere else, but that was yeah, probably. that was really awesome. That like yeah. I was blown away by it. I was like, wow, a state rep just came on and talked about the real deal, you know, and yeah. totally felt it in my heart, you know. So yeah. I want to thank you for that last time too. Thank you too, that was fun. And at the party, they had this little, um, I'm sure you saw it, it was like a kiosk. Yes. Where you type in some stuff and it would tell you your cannabis personality. That's right. And it was accurate, that was weird. It was, what we, it was what, like, it was fairly complex. Do you remember I don't what remember you the name of mine, but it was something like a combination between explorer and uh, researcher and uh, I don't know, world dominator or something. It was like oh, some really? combination. That's thing. a weird, like I, two of them go together and then world dominator. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. It was something like somebody that's like, rah, and like, yeah. ooh, and like, oh, curious. <laughs> perfect. That's a perfect mix. So, so I like, and it said that I would like CBD products like salves. And I'm like, yes, that is true. Did you, I, do you have you tried the CBD salves and things like that? Yeah, I use them on my feet and on my joints because I have joint right. issues. It's great. Yeah. yeah, I find like actually uh, my cousin anything cannabis salve, whether it's THC or CBD or whatever. I don't know. It all works. It's really good. Yeah, it's for good for muscle relaxation. It's really good. Yes. And for and for joint soothing, at least in my case, I have a lot of joint issues. So. Me too. 
I think we, we all get them as we get older, right? That's yeah, I was really rough on my body. I didn't do sports the right way. I was too hardcore. It was the world dominator <laughs> part. You and I are like, <laughs> I, I'd have a knee surgery every single wrestling season. I mean. Yeah, it was bad. And I, like now I'm all about yoga. But when I was a kid in my 20s, yeah, yeah. You know, I was like, ah, nothing slow. Only fast. I fell, off, yeah, I fell off a moving car. That's how crazy oh I was. God. I was trying to show off for a girl. I mean, that's how dumb I was. Yeah, well, we all did that stuff. Lucky I used to I didn't do push-ups. Um, my Kung Fu instructor used to make me do push-ups on my fingertips. Oh, yeah. And then we would do these things called panther walks. Where it's like a push up, but then you hop forward. Oh, those are like burpees in a way. We call them, kind we used of, to call yeah, them burpees. You do, you do like your push up and then you hop oh, forward yeah. and land oh, yeah. back in a push up yeah. stance. Oh, yeah. And then are, you have to keep your body like totally in a low yeah. plank at all times. Oh, you bring me back to high school wrestling. That we did all so those. bad for your body. <laughs> yeah, it is. One arm push ups. I could still do those. I love those. Those are showing off though. Like I, I can't do the fingertips. That's like. I don't know. I should see. I probably could do one, but we used to have to do a hundred push-ups, and ten of them were the fingertips. Oh, they see that's sometimes repetitive too. Jump, have you ever done jumping jacks for over an hour? No, not fun. That's <laughs> punishment. Hour? It's like these tough guys. Like oh, we can do this. They're crying at the end. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, we're talking uh, hardcore stuff. But um, again, uh, Mike Crawford hosting with Mika Alugado. Yeah, we're having fun. Um, Wanted to talk about some other stuff too, because like yeah. you have a lot of bills up at the state house. Um, which ones? I mean, the rent ones, because there's several on the rent, especially with uh, the COVID nineteen. Can you yeah. tell us about some of those bills? Yeah. So, so Mike Connolly and I are kind of like a duo, um, and we've been trying to cover uh, like a, all year, all session. We've been trying to cover housing in a comprehensive way. And not just ourselves, but really getting behind and co-sponsoring any legislation and then filling in the gaps. Um, so I'll talk about that. But but you know, all of that gets put to the side for the COVID-19 response. Right. And there's a few things going on there. So uh, right now we have a bill that's a, an evictions and foreclosure moratorium. So it would uh, prevent any evictions or foreclosure proceedings from taking place during the, uh, the state of emergency. And some people think, oh, isn't that already sort of happening because the courts said uh, they're gonna shut down? No, that's not what that means. There are eviction proceedings that are moving forward right now because they're at a stage in the proceeding where they don't require a court process to complete the eviction, uh, right? Yeah. And so uh, if there was a moratorium, nobody would be put out uh, of their home during this period. Uh, and so that's a really important stopgap measure. We got to pass that before April 1st is what, you know, a, a bunch of housing advocates uh, called Renters Rising. So, so by tomorrow, by tomorrow. Yeah. April 1st. So Tuesday already? Yeah. Today's the 30th, right? Oh, yeah. Tomorrow's the 31st. Yeah. Then. Oh yeah. You're right. Sorry. Yeah, we two March more days. 31st. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but there's a, there's a coalition of a bunch of housing and labor advocates, 29 of them across the state, all the different gateway cities. Uh, and uh, they put together a great letter and got sign-ons from labor organizations, 61 sign-ons and like, I don't know, it felt like it was six or eight hours. They got all these sign-ons and more people wanted to, but we didn't have time and sent that to the governor and to the speaker and to the Senate president to say, look, we got to get this done in time to give people an assurance by April 1st who aren't able because of the COVID crisis to fully make their rent or their mortgage. And, uh, you know, this is taken into account also uh, people who might have a mortgage and they might have tenants. That's right. Right. And so it's like all these uh, circles, uh, uh, circles of effects, this ripple effect. And um, I did um, see a letter back from uh, the general counsel of Senator Harriet Chandler saying we recognize the April 1st uh, urgency and we're working really hard to get this done as fast as possible. And that's uh, uh, so, eight so that was. That yeah, that's HD 4935, providing right. a moratorium. And, uh, Senate Bill 2, and so uh, hopefully they're going to make an announcement about that this week so we can give people some um, relief just emotionally and, and not compound their mental stress and mental health. However, we recognize that prolonging, you know, for some people that are, are wage workers or whatever, no matter how much money you make on that wage, if you're not getting your wage right now, a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck anyway. 
right. And so if, they, if, if their cash flow is, is zero or reduced by 50% uh, because one person isn't working or, what, or whatever it might be, uh, they're not going to be able to make those payments three months from now either. That's right. right. And so we need to get some more legislation on the books that deals with uh, making people whole enough to stay in their homes, uh, canceling debt where necessary. And if that debt was owed to someone who's also low income or reliant on that income, making them whole as well. That has to be part of what we do with the stimulus money uh, or the, uh, the uh, rehab and relief money that we get from the feds. And I think it will be. But the question is, will it be enough? And how is the state going to fill in the gaps? Uh, to make sure that people aren't incurring late fees that six months from now they're not allowed to be uh, or, or the courts aren't allowed to admit uh, evidence of COVID-19 related debt uh, as um, as a factor in an eviction or a foreclosure proceeding and so those are some of the things that aren't that are that we're drafting that uh, haven't been filed yet we, we want to see what happens with the federal money and we also want to get this a moratorium down because that's sort of the the emergency Stop gap right now yeah, yeah. hd 4935 people need to call again call the governor call your state reps ask them to sign on hd 4935 and it's important the timing on that one as i was sort of getting at uh this isn't something that they can make a decision on in two or three weeks you know how so so uh john santiago is uh represented from the south end he's also a doctor in the er he worked last night and he had to take care of a guy that, um, you know, lost his job. And the guy tried to take his life because he lost his job. You know, and so the stress of not being able to pay your rent or your mortgage in a crisis like this one where people are already pushed to the edge, some people, um, uh, in terms of their health and their mental health, it's critical that we give people every assurance that we're capable of giving them. They need shelter. I mean, you need, if you're supposed to have a shelter in place, <laughs> we need to make sure they have shelter. Yeah. So uh, the, also um, we talked about, you know, jobs and, and people losing their jobs. Um, Cause I'm in kind of the same boat. Like I'm, I'm totally self-employed at this point. Um, and I don't think I don't qualify for unemployment insurance. My business is down 75%. Right. Um, but, but people requesting a major disaster declaration for mass, which would ensure that independent contractors and the self-employed have access to unemployment insurance. And we did get that. We got that. It, does, it has passed? Yeah, either yesterday or today. Uh, the, the, the president did approve that for Massachusetts. Uh, so now uh, it's going to take us some time because I don't know if you've heard, but I've heard that the unemployment insurance system was already not set up in a very user-friendly way. Yes. And so now uh, we have permission to expand the eligibility. So for people that don't know, unemployment insurance uh, usually goes to people that get a W-2, right? right? Uh, if you get a 1099, meaning you're a self-employed you're, you're um, self or, or an independent contractor, there's some other categories under that too, uh, you're not eligible for unemployment insurance because you don't have an employer that's paying into the system uh, on your behalf. And, uh, and so a lot of those folks in general are left out to dry, as you already know, if you should lose all your contracts. However, that's unacceptable in a crisis like this one, where the reason that you're losing your, your contracts is the COVID-19 uh, virus. Uh, we wanna make sure that all of those people have access to unemployment insurance. Unfortunately, we don't have any way of verifying your income yet. Right, because there's nobody that's making a, a, a monthly or, or annual report on how much they're paying you uh, in the same way as if you had a W-2. And so um, they're trying to figure that out and it's gonna take, it's gonna take weeks. Can it just be based, I mean, maybe not for everybody because you know, people's employment does change and new people come to the workforce, but for a lot of, like for me, uh, I'm thinking just for me anyways, Right. Just a, an example, too, because you, you mentioned 1099s, which, you know, I'm familiar with. I've had them in the past. I still get them in my media business, but that's not most of my income. Most of my income comes from customers paying me 20 bucks, right, know, cash. 100 bucks a week. Yeah. 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 And, it's, that's right. and it's, it's a business, but it's in my name. It's not, you know, and I'm just wondering if, if for, 
a lot of people, couldn't they just look at what they earned last year and say, what are you earning today? Look at, look at your taxes, look at deposits. Right. Well, I'm not a tax professional, um, but did study enough of it to know that it gets kind of complicated uh, when, you're, when you're using people's tax returns to compare to each other, like how much, how much income they have you know, uh, for the purposes of determining a benefit. Sure. And so I don't have the expertise to know what the precise holdup is and how much of it is logistical and how much of it is legal. Um, but there are, there are complexities. It might be that somebody could work them out faster than we're working them out. I'm not yeah. saying that's not true. Right. <laughs> but what the I do that's being worked on. How long do you, we have are trying their level best. How long do you think it will be before they'll have some kind of clarity on the, in the state of Massachusetts on that? Like in terms well, of- Well, you know, the, the hardest thing about being a, a, a single rep out of 200 legislators is the real answer is, I have no idea. And you don't want to give people false hope. Right. How long should it take? It should take a few weeks after we have clarity from the federal government. How long will it take to get clarity from the federal government now that the major bill has passed that's related to unemployment insurance? Maybe a week or two. Uh, but could it take longer than that? Could we find ourselves two months down the road and still haven't figured this out? Well, I don't know. Look at the big dig. There's a, there's a hundred things we could point to that should have been done sooner than sure. they were. And everybody was trying really hard and still flubbed it up. Um, yeah. So that could happen here. That could happen here. But I think everybody's hope is that within a few weeks, uh, we'll at least have it sorted out. And then a few weeks after that, people could start getting some relief in their pockets. I hope so. Yeah. You know, I, I, the other you know, question I, I, you know, on, on something like that, it just, that should be the priority. It should be like people, you know, especially for people who are the uh, 1099 waitresses, bartenders, you know, whoever it is. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's, t it's tens of thousands of people across the Commonwealth. And they're the most vulnerable, like they're, they're the people who least deserve it. You know, they deserve a break. Least, least deserve to, right. Have another crisis. <laughs> right. Right. You have a lot of other great bills too. Um, you know, also related, we talked about, um, you know, foreclosed homes, there's an, you have another bill, HD 3793, yeah. which is, uh, to, it's, it's also, it's additional legislation too, to protect tenants and prevent vacancies in foreclosed homes. Yeah, that's a really tiny, but that's actually a refile from my predecessor, which I just refiled exactly as it is. Uh, and it's pretty simple and I, and I hope non-controversial, but these days we'll see what we end up getting over the finish line. Uh, and it just says, you know, if, the home is going to be vacant anyway. The person should be able to live in it, you know, until it's not going to be vacant, even if they've been foreclosed, right? So don't evict people out of the homes that they've lived in if you don't if you don't have to, essentially. Um, the when I talked when I said earlier that we were looking at this holistic view of shifting our our mindset around what housing even is. Uh, what really is at the crux of that, I spoke before I um, got sworn in to the head of MACDC, that's, you know, Community Development Corporations. They work on a lot of affordable housing issues, among other things. And he was educating me, like giving me a, a, a quick tutorial. And he said, right now, on an average year, four out of five people who are eligible for and need affordable housing uh, get it or, or don't get it, right? So one out of five are getting it. And he said, and our goal is to increase that to one out of four, right? Because mm. that's more people than one out of five. And I said, shouldn't our goal be four out of four? And he said, yeah, that would be great. But of course, that requires a whole mindset shift, mindset shift in our policies and our legislation. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we're doing here. And so to make that happen, we need three things, right? So one thing everybody talks about is very sexy is tenant protections. And we have some great bills on tenant protection, including lift, lifting the ridiculous ban on, on rent control, which was passed in 1994. Um, with, you know, a lot has happened to our people even before coronavirus to help us realize that that's crazy making to let rents just skyrocket as high as the market will drive them. Because that's as high as money can go. As long as rich people are getting ri richer, the equilibrium price is going to keep going up out of reach of even middle class people. So tenant protections are important. 
uh, foreclosure protections are important, eviction protections are important. So we've got some good bills on that, especially our uh, bill to um, lift the band has another uh, seven provisions to do some of those other things. The other piece uh, the governor has really risen um, visibility on in a way that you know is worth you know giving props for, partial props I'll say, and that is the need for supply to be easier. It needs to be easier to develop. And so he put forward a bill on essentially a zoning relief. The problem with that bill as it stands by itself, why I say partial props, is his zoning relief bill uh, makes it easier to develop by taking, you know, so you have zoning boards in every town and city. And usually like by the current law, you need two thirds of them to agree for anybody to develop, whether it's a great developer that's community-based or a huge developer that just wants to make a gazillion dollars, uh, they all have to get a two-thirds majority. And if a bunch of people, even if, even if only a third plus one of the people are like, we don't want anything new, you can't have it. So he wants to drop that down to 50% plus one, right? Which is sort of more fair. It would actually make things cheaper to develop because you don't have to take as much time to generate the approval, et cetera. But it also exacerbates all the inequities that are already built into the current system. Because anybody that can get capital really fast and can develop really fast and has deep pockets is gonna have even more of an advantage in that system. And we know from history that those types of developers disproportionately develop unaffordable stuff unless they're absolutely forced. And, and what we force them to do is, is minimal. That's where we get this one in five and one in four people in affordable housing who need it. Uh, and so then uh, what you have to add to that, which is that's why I like Bill 1288, which uh, Chairman Honan and Representative Andy Vargas, who's one of the youngest and smartest members of the legislature, in my opinion, um, they filed, uh, essentially they took the entire text of the governor's supply bill and they added some transit equity and, and some basic tenant protections in there. Not all of them, so we still need the tenant protections bill, but it's a stronger way to increase supply while paying attention to the inequities that that could, that could develop. So, so supply is the one and tenant protections is a two. But the third piece, that's my favorite thing. And it's my favorite because nobody was doing it. <laughs> so I picked it up. Public housing needs to be totally redefined. Our whole model for public housing, and then this is my bill, is it 3562 and the numbers are not on my head all the time anymore. You, you wrote it for me. Yeah, 3562 got that one. So H3562 is a bill to expand what public housing means and how we get it. So I had these BU kids um, who are in a data science uh, master's and, and bachelor's program. They figured out for me that the governor's administration with a little bit of doing gave us uh, uh, three or four databases that taken together you can figure out how much surplus land do we have that's useful for developing affordable housing. Now that's land nobody's using. Nobody's using it. And we're only looking at the usable land. There's at least $1.2 billion worth of that land. And it's a conservative estimate because we didn't have data for about a third of the property. And so we have somewhere between two and $3 billion of property that's just sitting there. Now I tell people, imagine this, Mike, let's say, I know this, I know this is true of you. You've probably got a million dollars in land assets that you're just not using, right? Sitting somewhere. Either it's just sitting there because you got an inheritance or something. No, that's not me. <laughs> yeah, not me either. No, but let's me. pretend. Let's pretend that that somebody died and left you a million dollars in property. Wow, that would be really nice. And you just decided someone could just give it to me right now. If you're going to leave it there for my retirement, I'm not touching it. Right? Then coronavirus hits. Now we have a real life situation. You lose your income. Let's say your girlfriend also lost her income. Let's say the aftermath of the coronavirus was even worse because some of the clients you depended on went out of business, right? And so now you're getting into four, five, six months. The, the federal and the state uh, relief has run out. You can no longer afford your rent. You can no longer afford your mortgage. What are you going to do? You have a million dollars in land assets sitting there. You're not going to ignore that. That's what we do. We have all of this money. Do you know how many affordable housing projects were built on state surplus land in the, in the, in the last few years? One. Really? And, and I heard it took like seven years to pull it off. <laughs> and so the reason for that is because the, the leg you have to get two special forms of legislation passed and you have to get all this extra money 
uh, because there's a double procurement process. Anyway, it's more expensive. So this bill gets rid of all of that and, and fast tracks people to affordable housing development so that tenants can actually uh, invest in public housing the same way that big developers can. So it's an exciting bill, but it's, it's, it's very unsexy <laughs> unless you're a super geek like myself. Uh, but, but we need to build the amount of affordable housing, which is only possible if you do the rent, the rent regulation and the supply. Right. The combination of those three things, we can I have an explosion so in affordable housing. Yeah. It has first, to be we got to get through this crisis. It has to be both. I agree with you on 100% supply and the cost. Like both, some people only want to do rent control. And then I see a lot of these market minded people who only want to do the supply. Right. I think we need both. It's yeah, we need a hundred percent solution and, and rent control. Um, you know, we're saying rent stabilization and stuff now, cause that, that term not only does that baggage, but it's not exactly right. Cause you're not fixing prices, which is what that makes a lot of people think about. You're just regulating the market so it doesn't grow too fast. You can still double somebody's rent in 10 years, right. Right. even with a uh, very strict rent control. Um, so with rent stabilization, it's not going to help anybody who's low income or even work working low income. You know why? Because it's not going to reduce rents. Right. Because the price is already set. Price is already high. It's just going to keep them from doubling too fast right. and tripling too fast. Yeah, that, I mean, that was, I, I went out to um, Malden, Mass, where they were doing, you know, City Life does rallies and protests for people yeah. who are organizing. You know, Urbana. Yeah, we love them. And they had, you know, the Malden, this building got bought one day and he basically just raised the rents 50% on everybody overnight. Right. And when and they went to look, oh, yeah. and when they went to look for other apartments in the city of Malden, he also owned them and they were for the same price. So it was like a, it's like a monopoly, you know? Yeah, it can be locally. Yeah. And so the, the tenant protections uh, act, which is the, um, uh, 3965, the, the one that lifts the ban on rent control. It also has a provision that allows, first of all, it's a, it's a, it's a, a local option. That means you're not forced to do it. It means every town and city gets to choose whether they want to do it or not. And you have options for how you do it. So you can pick what we call uh, actually, we got this uh, from city from city life from Vida Urbana, uh, anti-displacement zones. And a lot of legislators who were iffy about it have actually come along because they like the idea that you can pick a zone in your town or several zones that have to meet certain conditions. And in those zones, you're gonna you're gonna apply a rent stabilization measure, whether it's uh, uh, capping the rise on rents by a certain percentage increase per year, or, or some of the other options that you could use for upfront fees, uh, regulating upfront fees or broker fees, or whatever that might be. I remember when my sister was in crisis, she and her four kids moved in with me. And uh, she's an amazing, an amazing person, amazing mom, but had just multiple crises, including her own mental illness uh, that hadn't been treated for a long time at that point. And uh, having lost the, the father of three of her kids to, to gun violence, um, on top of some other things that were going on. So multiple traumas, and they really needed some support. So my husband and I quick moved into a five-bedroom in Jamaica Plain, right? And uh, moved them all here. There's legal proceedings. It was really complicated. And uh, we had to come up with essentially three and a half months rent on a five-bedroom in Jamaica Plain. And it was the equivalent, if you go through one of these first-time homebuyer programs and you put down a sizable down payment, you know, it was the equivalent of one of those. And it wiped out our savings and took us into debt uh, that we just got out of. Um, so, so she moved in about uh, three and a half years ago. She stayed with us for a year and a half. And uh, we just got out of that debt uh, on my husband's birthday. That was my birthday present to him that I had been working on, on our credit scores and on getting rid of that debt. And that was last November 22nd, this is his birthday of 2019. And so these fees, these upfront fees are crippling. That's a form of rent regulation to say, oh, yeah. you cannot charge somebody for four months, three months rent uh, upfront before they move in. You have to give them a payment plan or, or somebody else has to pay for that. Or you have to split it between you know, the real estate agent and the owner or, or however, you can do it however you want. Uh, but that's an option. And so having those options, uh, even uh, Mayor Walsh 
said uh, on Jim Browdy's show on uh, WGBH, he said, yeah, I support the Tenant Protections Act, not because I'm a big fan of lifting the ban on rent control, but because I want that flexibility if I need it. So even, uh, you know, people more moderate than Mayor Walsh uh, have been supportive of it this time. So we're really hopeful. Um, there's a lot of opposition to it. But what we're saying to the opposition is we care, especially about low income and middle class uh, property owners as well. We've exempted uh, three families and below if you're an owner occupant so that small property owners are protected and you can increase that in your town. That's what the option says. You can make it five units. You can make yeah. it 10 units. Well, 10 wouldn't matter as much because <laughs> there's other laws for that. Um, but uh, yeah, so we have some hope um, or we had some hope before the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, we did get it um, out of, well, we got it past one deadline. It's not out of committee yet. Uh, we got that deadline extended to May 31st when the coronavirus hit. Uh, it was originally March 31st. And so now we have till May 31st to get it to House Ways and Means and then to get it out by July 31st. And so um, not now, focus your calls now on coronavirus related housing and other matters. Uh, but watch, watch for our, our social media and emails and, and the news um, around late spring. As we get over the hump in this, we can't let these balls drop, even though it's going to be tempting as we're dealing with aftermath. We still have to work on the, the bigger system so we don't find ourselves in the same situation over and over again, like Groundhog Day. Definitely. Uh, we're the Young Jerks. My name is Mike Crawford. We're with uh, Mass State Rep Nika Alugado, and we're talking all about housing. This was That was about rent control. Um, some other questions, you know, one that is always on my rent mind. Stabilization, Mike. Rent stabilization. Thank you. <laughs> Correcting me. I love it. Thank you. We got, we got it. Rent, rent stabilization. <laughs> I like it. Um, so, but one of the other things that I always want to look at is the homeless because yes, COVID-19, I know that you, you signed a letter uh, to the governor with, I think like 56 other state legislators. Yeah, I think it went up from there. Yeah. But yeah. So a number, many, many have signed on to this. And it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. And it's a, basically a letter that is asking them to do something, uh, you know, give expanded resources uh, and alternative shelter structures to reduce density for the homeless right now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he did respond to do that. You know, he did. And so they're uh, standing up shelters. The problem right now is that it's been focused on the greater Boston area. Uh, so they have set up some new shelters. They've uh, given uh, additional resources to additional shelters. They have built, you know, those big heated tents for people to be tested in where they can stay if they don't have a place to go afterwards. Uh, and then they have uh, social distancing norms can be um, adhered to by all these increases in space. Uh, I need to hear from from advocates in the homelessness community, like when those things are 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 all set up at the end of this week and next week. Are they seeing a market difference? That's really going to be uh, where the rubber meets the road. But the the plans and what they've started to put on the ground is is good um, as a start, uh, provided that people who are homeless uh, experiencing homelessness are giving and and being heard in terms of the feedback of whether it's working for them or not. Um, and then, and then uh, we, we have uh, the regional equity that we need to build in, because I know a lot of my Western Mass colleagues are saying, we're not getting any of that. Where's ours? And so hopefully that's, uh, that's at bat. I hope so, because, yeah. you know, people's lives really do depend on that right, right. now. I mean, more than ever. It, I think we should have been doing that for a long time now. Absolutely, it's, it's, it's our own failure to uh, correct structural inequities that anybody in this state is uh, living on the streets or in a shelter and not in permanent, sustainable, affordable housing. It, it just shouldn't be. Um, but the fact is it is, and we can use this opportunity to move in the right direction and to house everyone, uh, regardless of who they are and what their income is or is not. Now, uh, we had a uh, candidate for office asking about signatures and deadlines. Yeah. Do you know about this? They're talking about I am back. Running, I'm running for office right now. Like, yeah, I so you know about it. it. I know. I'm wondering how, how difficult it must even be for incumbents at this point. Like, how do you get signatures? I can't imagine for a non-incumbent. I mean, it's so hard as an incumbent to do this safely. 
because uh, because uh, I had a plan. I had it in my calendar. Four weekends, I was going to knock on doors. I had selected all the streets really cleverly to make sure there was diversity in different ways. Um, because I wanted to do that. I did that when I ran the first time. We knocked on doors instead of just standing in front of, you know, shopping centers. So people can start to meet you in their homes. And now we can't do that, right? Not safely. And so, you know, what I did, uh, and I shared this with other electeds in case they wanted to use this idea. I heard the word pandemic, I think on March 10th or 11th. <laughs> and so on March 12th, I went across the street from the state house to the office of elections where you get your nomination papers. I actually have them here at my desk. They look like this, folks. This is a nomination paper. Right. <laughs> and I said, can I have a hundred more of those? Uh, because I want to give each household their own. Now that works well in, in neighborhoods like mine and my district and where I live in JP and Hyde Square. We have a lot of three families uh, and two families. And so I uh, went on the, the voter list and I pulled up the, the registered active voters and we dropped off these at their house and said, use your own pen. I left them a letter to so text me or call me or drop it off on my porch uh, and, and just leave it on your porch. I'll come and pick it up. And then I put a station on my porch that has a little desk with uh, brand new pens that have never been used and everything's been sanitized. And it's got the little clipboard there for them to sign. And it says, please take the pen. So you take a pen, you keep it, or you bring your own pen. And so we started all of that on Friday. And uh, we have about 70 signatures out of the 150 that I need. But some legislators uh, need three or 4,000 for these right. congressional jobs. And so yep. that's an impossible system. So hopefully they can get some relief legislatively as well. When, when do you think that might happen? Um, I don't think it's going to happen, to be honest. That's what I'm wondering. Do you think it will actually happen? <laughs> I don't think so. So we may have races where there's just no, like we would have had a campaign, two campaigns going at it, and now there's none. Yeah. Patrick Kearney has filed some legislation to reduce the number of signatures. He's a South Shore rep. Yeah. Um, another young, brilliant guy. I think he was 22 when he started last year. Uh, and, uh, but the sec really, the Secretary of State. Is, is gonna have to, to make a call on that. Uh, I'm sure that they're thinking about it. I think there was a letter that I also signed on to uh, just asking for some form of relief. Um, so we'll see what happens. But it's understandably, I have to say, like not the highest priority right now for the next two, three weeks, because we got housing, unemployment, insurance, we, as we've discussed, people experiencing homelessness and obviously the uh, personal protective equipment and just the general public health and safety of everyone. And so those things are going to push this out a long time. And uh, we got to get our signatures in for uh, state races for like for my race, it's April 28th. You got to get your signatures in. And can we, can we do something that fast right. with all these other things that aren't even moving yet? Yeah. Uh, I'm like new it. though. I'm new. So I could yeah. be wrong. <laughs> well, I guess what we're about to find out. <laughs> right. So um, again, uh, my name is Mike Crawford. This is the Young Jerks, and I'm speaking. It's my special honor to speak to Mass State Rep Nika Alugado. Um, I wanted to ask you a couple other things, but uh, there was something that came up on, on the federal level with the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Yeah, Ashley Unbelievable. What's going on? Do you know what's going on there? I mean, I just know as it was reported that um, the president stripped the Wampanoag tribe of their reservation status. They're still a tribe federally. Um, and I think that that's unheard of. I think that might be unprecedented. And uh, there is a belief that it was over um, their casino project. And uh, apparently, again, we're in rumor land. So this yeah. rumor, I've heard this rumor. Twi rumor land. The Twin Rivers didn't like it. Well, well, apparently the Rhode Island folks and their casino, uh, at least one of their investors, uh, was somebody that was a financier for Donald Trump and his failed casino projects uh, in Atlantic City or somewhere. Anyway, rumors, this is a fact, guys, who knows. Uh, but doesn't it fit the facts that Donald Trump would be that petty? Apparently, yeah. he, um, 
he already has a history of uh, talking down about um, about the the rights the rights that we barely afford to our indigenous people that it's, it's already so minimal and so much less than uh, what justice would require. And he feels like they have unfair rights. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so he said that in the past. So this is consistent with his racist and xenophobic um, and money mongering uh, approach to looking at people and people groups. Uh, but he just he somehow managed to surprise me on this one. Un unbelievable. Uh, they're, they're appealing it. I, hopefully it can be reversed. I don't know what the chances are until we get a new president. It'll probably be reversed then. Um, but yeah, it's crazy. I mean, and this people group is suffering immensely. Do you know, do you know what the guy, I, I unfortunately can't remember his name, but one of the tribal leaders thought he was getting a call from the administration to ask how they were doing in the coronavirus. Can you imagine? I know, right? Thinking that you're getting that call and then hearing that crap on the other end of the line. Unbelievable. Kick them, kick, yeah, it's like to kick someone when they're down. So down, we already kick them when they're down because we stole the land. Mm. We won't even acknowledge that that happened. We feel like we're giving somebody a gift when we give them a little bit of what we stole back. Yeah. Uh, they're having a compounding uh, psychological and emotional distress based on what we're doing with mascots, what we're doing with um, federal, uh, essentially almost like persecution. We've uh, disturbed their, their um, holy lands. It's kind of like if you went into the graveyard, uh, the cemetery where your grandmother was built and you just dug it up and threw her bones to the, we do that kind of stuff all the time. Right. Not just 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, all the time, fracking, right all this stuff, totally disrespect. The kids are traumatized more um, disproportionately because uh, their culture gets erased even more than the rest of our cultures do. And uh, then on top of that, to take the, the minimal rights that we've given of reservation status, and it's, it's just unconscionable. Thank you, uh, Rep. State Rep. Nika. Um, one of the things we wanted to do, if, if we have a second, we're almost, I mean, we're, we, I've had you on the phone for, uh, on the Zoom. I say the phone, the Zoom for a while now. Um, but we have a beating ID. If anyone wants to jump on the Zoom and ask a question for the state rep, 462-173-128. That's how they get in. 462-173-128. 462-173-128. That's our meeting ID. We have a wait room. If you want to ask a question, if you have the Zoom, this is the time to do it. Again, my name is Mike Crawford. <clears throat> we have, uh, I'm, I'm got a little, I don't know. I need, some, need some water. water. Yeah, pass me some water. I didn't bring my water bottle in here. There you go. I don't have a coaster. Yeah, I did. Uh, I wasn't prepared. Yeah. And I'm, I'm ready to give out our old phone number. Like, it's so funny because like I, I finally like memorized the phone number. And now it's gone. 617-702-2542 if you want to call. No, no that phone call, the phone number is gone now. But if you want to support us, we're trying to get a new phone number. We're trying to get like, you know, upgrade. We're, we're paying for new microphones, new computers, new lights, all kinds of costs to this Zoom as well. Um, if you want to support the show, it's midnightmass.substack.com. Become a paying member. We're actually going to post uh, something special on there later tonight. It's the letter, uh, not the letter, the statement, the recent press release from uh, China Taylor, Mass State Rep China Taylor, on uh, this cannabis issue that we were talking about earlier. So that will be up there later, midnightmass.substack.com. If you're not yet a subscriber, definitely check out that and add your email address. Two, two different levels on uh, sub subscribing over there. One is free and the other is premium. Premium is five bucks a month. So if you want to support us, that's the best way to do so. Again, my name is Mike Crawford. I want to thank the rep for being on the call, on the Zoom call. Is that what we call it? Is it called a Zoom call? Do you know? You're the wrong person to ask. Like yeah, I said, you don't know. You're like the me. The first time I turned on the video in years. <laughs> I, I want to thank you for doing that for us. 
Oh, of course. Of course. Now everyone else is going to expect you to do video now, though. That's I what... am completely comfortable saying no to most people for that. <laughs> oh, my God. My girlfriend is so awesome. She's been listening in the other room. Oh, I thought that might happen. Yeah. Cheers. This, this is a woman that's like a radio star. She usually doesn't. I don't know. She's being too nice today. Nah. Because usually she's like, you should have your, you know, everything prepared. You know, she's, she's a pro. Very good. Thank yeah. you, girlfriend. What's her name? Uh, Car well, she's known as Carmelita. That's not her Thank real you, name, Carmelita. but that's her radio name. Okay, cool. Yeah, cool. she was, a, I don't know if you heard of WAF in Boston. There was yeah. a big rock station. They just yeah. went out of business. She was oh, I didn't know that. the local music DJ, the local uh, music uh, program director forever over there. Ooh, starstruck. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. So, I saw you your know, arm. Starstruck. Yeah, and that's how I got into this. She helped, she, you know, booked some shows and put me on a show way back when and that's how okay. I started and she, she's been my biggest supporter by far oh that's awesome that's what it should be I feel similar with my bow yeah hey you know while we're talking about housing stuff uh I should definitely shout out you guys are making the calls real estate transfer fee right oh yeah tell me about that because that's big right now yeah that's big uh, we got some city stuff led by Lydia Council Lydia Edwards and others we've got some state stuff led by um, Dylan Fernandez. Uh, and uh, that means that when somebody sells a property over a certain amount, so let's say $2 million uh, is one of the numbers that's thrown out there, we do a two or 4% uh, uh, fee that goes into an affordable housing trust or a fund that can only be used to build affordable housing. And uh, mayor's big on that too in Boston and mayors across the, across the state. So when you're making your calls, you're going to say, we need more supply. So do that supply bill, but do it the fair way, H-1288. We need the Tenant Protections Act, but it gives lots of choices, but it also stabilizes this crazy market because it is false, as it says currently in the law. This, so in the, in the rent control ban, you know, it says, it says something like, this ban is instituted an acknowledgement of a public policy that market rents are in the best interests of the residents of Massachusetts. <laughs> is mm. that not an outdated concept if it was Especially today. I, I would think so today. I think right, right, almost right. everyone agrees. Rent is too high. Get rid of that. But also for affordable housing, we need uh, more public housing and we need the, uh, the um, real estate transfer fee, right? And that's just a small percentage of people. And it's just a little percentage off the top above the 2 million. So um, it's kind of like fair share in its, in its sort of principles. Um, because a lot of times people uh, earning at that level, uh, they're actually paying a less share uh, of their overall uh -huh. burden on fees and taxes than people that make middle or less. And so it's, it's not unfair. It's more fair. And now so that has to go past the state house and the city of Boston, for instance, or have what's or, called um, a home rule petition, which oh, means the city uh, filed their own request to the state. They need to get state house permission. And then there's another bill that would do it statewide. Okay. Yeah. But if you call and you say real estate transfer fee, then any of the bills on that are going to be good for, for people in Boston and uh, the statewide bills, of course, are going to be good for everyone. So they should call their state reps. That's right. I'm on this in the so government. Yeah, that Dylan Fernandez bill. We want that. And uh, if you're from Boston, then you say we we also want the home rule petition for Boston to pass on real estate transfer fee, um, along along with the public housing bill, and along with uh, the supply bill and the tenant protections act. We can do all of those things and have a comprehensive package that houses everyone in ten years. That's my goal. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. You've gone us. through so much questions. I can't imagine how busy you are right now, too. Can I end with a story? Yes. So uh, I'm 47 this summer. I'll be 47. And when I was a kid in my 20s, my daughter's age now, um, I used to volunteer. The program ended up being my client later. They served people that were experiencing homelessness by going out in the street and hanging out with them. And uh, I went to their 25th anniversary. And there was this woman up front and she was the main speaker. She had long silver hair and uh, she was a, a white woman with long silver hair and she was wearing a nice suit and she looked so familiar and I couldn't figure out who she was. And she was telling her story. She now had a great job. She was an editor 
but in her story, she had been experiencing homeless living in a literal cardboard box for 20 plus years. And when she said that, I remembered, I remembered where I knew her from. When I was a kid in college, I founded something called the MIT Initiative for the Homeless. And it brought people experiencing homelessness into leadership positions in our, in our club to help us figure out what we could do to serve them as students. And one of the things that I would do is I would go out and I would sit with people in their box or wherever they were, bring food, coats, whatever the students had donated. And I realized I used to sit in this woman's box and give her sandwiches and she had big matted hair and she was um, nonverbal. She didn't speak in her story. So I did that for a couple years in college and then I moved on to whatever I did next. In her story, people from this uh, organization called Starlight Ministries, they kept visiting her in her box and hanging out with her for 20 years. And then she came out and she got the mental health care she needed. She got the home she needed. She uh, got the job she needed. And now she was this beautiful, amazing, sparkly lady making keynote speeches. Mm -hmm. And so no matter where we are, or how dark our times get, if we don't give up on each other, we're going we're gonna to make it. Oh, my God. I love that. I, I just, uh, I tell people this a lot. Don't give up. And I think that we don't give up on others either. Like, don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on, on caring about other people. That's right. Every little touch matters, never more than now, but always. So let's hold on to that when we get through this. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. Always fun. Always a pleasure. You too. Uh, we'll definitely uh, talk again. And Very soon. Good. And I, I see, before I let you go, I see Calvin uh, Feliciano. Hey, Calvin. Our friend. We love Calvin. He's, he, uh, we got a lot of comments here on, on the live feed, but uh, I saw Calvin give ribbing you about the colors on your shirt. Number one. I, I, we don't even need to get into that. Blue and white? Blue lives matter. Is that what he's saying? <laughs> you see, when he, uh, he, well, at least he lets you know he's uh, Sir Troll a lot. Troll I Jay Simpson. Calvin. He's he got can all of yeah. me all day and all night. I know. And you know right? what? Calvin loves my husband. And so that makes me love him even more. Oh, that's awesome. I he love calls, Calvin. He calls my husband Frederico Suave, I think. Really? <laughs> My husband's name is Marcos. Oh, really? He's got a name. <laughs> His middle name is Frederico. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Calvin, Calvin is a funny guy. Yeah. yeah, I'm just, I'm just looking. We, we got a lot of listeners, a lot of comments. Again, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. That's it funny. doesn't, and you know what? There's not one person on here that's not happy with you right now. Like sometimes mm -hmm. we have uh, reps come on and. There's always a couple trolls. Yeah. You don't have any trolls. Is that in general? Like, do you get along with most people? I would say, and you're a fighter, though. I mean, uh, I'm not going to jinx myself. Okay, I get it. You could be <laughs> no, one. I, I get a lot of grace from people. It's true. I really do. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I've never heard anyone. People love you. I mean, you you beat like you know. I'm I'm saying I'm letting you go, but we're getting into some other things. You know. You beat someone who was very powerful, who, you know, was a respected rep and, you know, you did the impossible and in a lot of respects. And so far you're, you're really like going after it and I love it. And I want to thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for everything you do. Nothing is impossible, Mike. I, I, you know what, when you say it, I believe it. So <laughs> keep saying it for all of us. We can do it. We can do it together. That's the key. I hope so. That's what we need more of today with uh, the craziness of the world. So again, I want to thank you so much for doing what you do, Rep. Likewise. Likewise. Take care. You too. We'll talk okay. soon. Bye now. I actually don't know how to leave. <laughs>